There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Yes, yes. Welcome into the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network. We call it questions from the audience, but that's basically what the podcast is now. So uh, we just BS about topics. I prefer erotic stories get sent in. Gangster Pete this week, no erotic stories. It's disappointing, Tim. Where was Deebs? Uh, Deebs and I had to attend a wedding this weekend. You were with Deebs. Yeah, we were groomsmen. And Did our, he score? Our boy, Painter's Wedding. No, it was kind of a social distance wedding. Oh, yeah, that's a different deal. I picture weddings, and I immediately yeah. default click to what they were like. Yeah, it's, I guess it's a different deal. Just family and wedding party. Yeah. Uh, Deeb sends in erotic stories. You can send in erotic stories, anything. I, I really don't care. It can be something from 20 years ago. It doesn't matter. I just need to be titillated. Send them in. T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com. You can also send in questions, comments, whatever. As uh, we read uh, pretty much anything, I try to get to a few and do about an hour each week. Sometimes I'll go two hours. I don't know. Gangster Pete and I are in the lab on September 8th, 2020. The lab, the homeloanexpert.com studios. Ryan Kelly getting ready for that climb for the kids. We'll have more on that in the coming weeks. But in the meantime, we can tell you this. If you haven't refinanced in 2020, you need to do your leaving money on the table. It's that simple. Go to thehomeloanexpert.com. Our studio sponsors here on the Tim McKernan Show. I refinanced with Ryan Kelly. It couldn't have been any easier. You're going to save a bunch of money, and it's simple. But on top of that, you can get pre-approved to buy a home. Thehomeloanexpert.com. You know, I, re- I refinanced years ago, and I'm kind of like, oh, it's such a headache. But, and so I was kind of hesitant to do it. And then I did it. And this time around with Ryan and his staff, it was so simple. I kick myself for not doing it sooner. If you haven't done it, the rates are so low. Go to thehomeloanexpert.com. Ryan Kelly, studio sponsor here of the Tim McKernan Show. In addition to Ryan Kelly, the homeloanexpert.com studio sponsor, we have James Carlton, the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency, 314-961-4800, or go online at carltoninsurance.net. James is my insurance agent, and he has been a loyal sponsor of this podcast. We are approaching our third anniversary. Started on October 1st, 2017 with a like 90-minute Gary Pinkle interview. And here we are in September of 2020. James Carlton has been with us from the very beginning, and I was so impressed with him that I made the switch to his insurance agency, and I know a number of our listeners have as well. If you have not, go to carltoninsurance.net or give them a call, 314-961-4800. And I think just one phone call, you'll understand why I'm so fired up about it. The customer service, the ability to save you money, there's just nobody better. It's James Carlton. He's in Webster Groves. 314-961-4800 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. State Farm Insurance Agency, James Carlton, the best in the business and a sponsor of the Tim McKernan Show. Gangster Pete, we have questions. Oh, we have questions. And uh, and they cover a, a variety of topics, actually. Um, and I'm looking forward to delving into them with you. And as always, when you listen to the podcast and you're just like, I wonder, I wonder about this, or I wonder about this repeat, or I wonder about this just in general. I want to say it. What do you guys think? Fire away. I love this. It truly is therapeutic for me. Now we're doing this on the day after Labor Day and I, I woke up super early this morning. So I'm not, I don't think anyway, firing on all cylinders. Gangster Pete, how was your rest? You had a wedding. 
Yeah, it was in yeah. Tulsa, so I'm a little tired too. Yeah, it's so it's it's one of those things. But uh I already had a bunch of emails ready to go. But for future reference, if you're just listening or if something goes on during the week, fire it off. There's nothing you can write that we wouldn't consider reading. So uh, send them in. Uh, T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com. It's uh, questions from the audience and anything and everything is welcome. All right. I had like four set aside. Here we go. Hey, Tim, I was just listening to this week's QFTA. And I heard you mention, this was sent on Saturday, and I heard you mention that you are more confident than ever that Trump is going to be reelected. I've heard you say this a few times now, but not sure that I've heard you go into detail as to why. I think you and I aligned fairly closely politically. I would probably be slightly to the left of you. I think our media diets are similar. I avoid cable news at all costs and rely mostly on the reporting of the Washington Post and New York Times. I also nerd out on the data reported by 538. My read would be that if the election were held today, Biden would almost certainly win. However, a lot uh, can change between now and November. I would be really curious to hear you elaborate on why you feel so confident that Trump will win. I try to be a good little lemming and agree with you on everything. So this is causing me some distress. Thanks. That comes from Sean. Um, All right. This is good because there's a lot we can go into on this. I've been monitoring the odds on Bovada, which, as I always say, anytime I mention them, they mean nothing. Hillary Clinton was a monster favorite on election night in 2016. Uh, Joe Biden was like minus 165, a big favorite in June, July-ish. He is down to minus 120, but he still is a favorite at minus 120. Trump is even. So if you are very confident he's going to win. Uh, throw whatever you want to throw on it and you don't have to give odds. Um, you are actually just, you know, you bet a hundred, you win a hundred, uh, Biden, you'd have to bet one twenty to win a hundred. So, um, gangster Pete, uh, we talk about it now every week. Are you still of the opinion, uh, the president Trump wins reelection? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of people that aren't talking about who they're going to vote for. They're going to vote for him just because they don't want the stigma attached to them. There and is then, one of my reasons, Sean, right there. What gangster Pete just said. And then, uh, Yeah, what I was going to say. That's all right. Uh, well, I have a bunch of data here. Um, it was uh, it was sent to me by a listener, and I don't know if the listener wants his name said. Uh, but 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 one of my big reasons, what Pete just said. Uh, I also think there is something to be said for enthusiasm for a candidate. Uh, oh yeah, that reminds me of my second point. What was that? Uh, I just. I think that a lot of people that would have voted for someone other than Trump aren't excited about Biden and they'll vote for Trump again. So they had, they had a chance to get some people that would have gone the other way that they're going to lose. And they're not energized by Biden. When when November rolls around, likely cold, um, pandemic, a virtual certainty still going on or getting a mail in ballot. It's a whole thing. And I know that my whole thing for those of you listening to this, you're probably more engaged than the average voter. So I think that is something also to consider. Um, Now, you also have never really had, I don't think anyway, at least in my lifetime, I guess you could maybe say George W. Bush in 2004, maybe, I don't know, that much anti an incumbent um, as you will have here. Um, But I also don't know if you've had that much pro an incumbent with the intense passion of the pro 
uh, as you have for Trump. So with that all out there, and, st- and I'm talking about in recent history, I to go back and even something like the 1970s, I wouldn't be able to to speak, uh, even the 80s, speak with much confidence on. So I'm speaking from my memory and, and life experience. So it's a limited amount of American history here, obviously. But with that all said, there is data that can help indicate this. Um, and, uh, and this was sent to me by a listener, and I thought it was pretty interesting. As far as uh, the landscape, and the landscape are the following categories. Disposable income growth, rolling 11 months. Unemployment rate change, that's rolling 10 months. S&P 500 performance, rolling three months. Average consumer confidence, that's for the election year average. GDP growth, years three and four of the presidency. And average approval ratings. So uh, disposable income growth and average consumer confidence did not exist as a data point in 1956 for Dwight Eisenhower. Uh, But he did check off the boxes of three of the four. Um, and the only one that was a negative for him was the S and P 500 performance. It was down 2.6%, but the unemployment rate change was a positive. Uh, the GDP growth was a positive in both years three and four and his approval rating. This is foreign. I don't know if we'll ever see anything like this again, actually, uh, was 71.9%, Wow, 71.9%. And, uh, and he won reelection in 56. Um, and again, this is re-election, so this would take Kennedy-Nixon out of play in 1960. But Lyndon Baines Johnson was, you know, getting re-elected, even though he was, of course, the vice president when President Kennedy was assassinated. So in 64, he had a 74.7 approval rating. 74.7. Wow. That's the highest one listed here. Um, and had all five of the categories that I had listed that were mentioned. The only one that wasn't uh, tracked at that time was average consumer confidence. But he had disposable income growth of 4.64%. The unemployment rate change uh, was a positive. The S&P 500 performance was a positive. GDP growth both in year three and four. And again, his approval rating was huge. So he won all five. Richard Nixon, how about this? As controversial as his exit was in 72, which really is kind of surprising, both Pete and I, and hell, I would imagine 95% of you listening, I uh, can't recall the 72 election because you weren't around, but uh, Nixon is the only one um, pre Reagan who met all six categories and checked all six boxes. And then you sit there and go, why did he mess around with Watergate? Um, but disposable income growth, 5.35%. Unemployment rate change, positive. S&P 500 performance up 6.9%. Consumer confidence at 100.7. GDP growth, both in year three and year four. And his approval rating was 56%. Again, this is at the time of Vietnam. Um, and he won re-election. Then all hell starts breaking loose with three of the next four. Uh, Gerald Ford, again, not elected, but he was in office in 76 and lost. And he only had two of the six. The only things he had were GDP growth in year four uh, and the un- un- unemployment rate uh, change. Um, and he lost to Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter in 1980 only had one of the six, and that was the S&P 500. Uh, He had a 39.6 approval rating. For as bad as Ford was feeling, he had a higher approval rating than President Trump does now, 47.3%, but that doesn't tell the whole story. As I mentioned, there's six categories. Ronald Reagan in 84, he had six of six. 
Uh, just like Bill Clinton and George W. Bush. Barack Obama had four of six. George H.W. Bush, I didn't realize this, had zero of six. The only one with zero of six. Um, disposable income growth had declined. Unemployment rate change. Uh, unemployment had increased. S&P 500 performance decreased. Consumer confidence down to 59.6. That was the lowest uh, by far, dating back to Eisenhower. GDP growth down uh, in year three, and his average approval rating was 39.1%. Gangster Pete, I know you're you're a couple years younger than me, so you know we were in our teens, or you might have been 12-ish, when, when, <laughs> when George H.W. Bush lost to Bill Clinton. I don't, I, I, as I'm reading this data, and which may be boring the fuck out of people, but I want to give my reasons in detail as opposed to, yeah, I just kind of think, you know, based on some shit I've seen on Facebook, I want to give you data uh, and I'm not done. And it might bore people, but, you know, this is, this is what I, I want to answer the question with. I like data, Tim. Uh, I didn't realize he was that unpopular. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Stunned to read that. Yeah. 39.1%. Um, lower than anybody ever, uh, ever going back to 56, but... Uh, Jimmy Carter was a 39.6%. I'm really surprised by that. I'm taken aback by that. I don't even know what the hell to make of it. I'd be curious because I feel like as time went on, he became more popular. Right. Funny thing is, as time went on, Jimmy Carter became more popular. Yep. Some of these two-termers have become less popular. But uh, George H.W. Bush, of course, lost to Clinton, who then in 96 had all six in his favor. George W. Bush had all six in his favor. I bet that would surprise people. Clinton had a 55% approval rating at the time of his election, re-election. George W. Bush had a 50.6% approval rating at the time of his re-election. Consumer confidence for Clinton, 103.1. Consumer confidence for Bush in 2004, 95.8. Barack Obama uh, had an approval rating below 50%, just like Ford and Carter and Trump. Uh, Obama at 47%, Trump currently at 45.1% per the uh, information that I have here. Um, but he had disposable income growth. Uh, the unemployment had decreased. The S&P 500 had increased. Consumer confidence was low, 66.6%. GDP growth both in year three and year four. Um, and again, his approval rating was below 50%. So he had four of six. What does Trump have? Trump has three of six. We have never had a three of six before. Um, in all of these cases since Clinton's election, everybody has been two terms. But they all had at least four of the six categories. Trump has three of the six. Disposable income growth, 7.5%. That is by far the largest increase of anybody. Uh, the next closest is 5.35% for Richard Nixon. Unemployment rate, that has increased 7.5%. George H.W. Bush had an unemployment increase, he lost. Jimmy Carter on unemployment increase, he lost. Those are the only two presidents since 56 with Eisenhower who have had unemployment increase. I'm sure a lot of Trump people are immediately saying, well, pandemic, pandemic, pandemic. It wasn't going to happen without the pandemic. And that, I would actually, that, I'd agree with that 100% as somebody who is by far not a President Trump supporter. Um, but you have to include that in. That's, that's that's just a reality, just like George W. Bush gets in office and nine months in, September 11th occurs. So this is a real thing, and it impacts the perception. 
But that is why that unemployment is so high. And I cite two other presidents who uh, were not reelected and they had unemployment go up and also GDP growth. The GDP growth grew uh, in year three, 2.3%, but in year four, it has gone down 5.5%. The only other uh, term in which GDP decreased was year four for Jimmy Carter. Um, other than that, everybody else in their fourth year, it increased. Everybody from Eisenhower to Johnson, uh, Nixon, Ford, Reagan, Clinton, uh, George H.W. Bush too, Clinton, uh, W., and Obama. Uh, and then you also have the uh, approval rating of 45.1%. So all of that data there would tell you that he is not going to get reelected. Um, but we have more. Uh, so much of what goes on is stock market. As a matter of fact, the S&P 500 has correctly, correctly picked the winning political party in a presidential election 20 of 23 times since 1928. So that's an 87% accuracy. Um, and the three times it did not was uh, Eisenhower in 56. Uh, let's see. Nixon? No, the Democrat in 68 because uh, Nixon won in 68. And then Carter in 80. But every year since, the S&P 500 performance uh, has correctly picked the winner. If the stock market is positive during August, September, and October, then the incumbent party usually holds, usually meaning 87%, usually holds the White House. Uh, sometimes it can be rocky. Think about September 2008. And again, that's incumbent party. You can go, well, Bush wasn't running, but it's the incumbent party. So that is why we have uh, 68 in there as a reference, even though uh, Johnson was not um, running. The president's approval rating has remained relatively constant. After hitting highs in May, Trump's approval rating is recovering after a summer slump. Um, and so he's around 45% when you average them. Uh, pushing for reopening, the president is betting that an economic recovery will offset summer virus surge. Uh, 58% disapprove of his handling of COVID-19. Uh, 49% approve of his handling of the economy. Now, while national polls, and that's, I, I was doing this in 2008, I would imagine most people at this point are, you can look at national polls and see Biden's 49-41 right now. It just doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. What you have to pay attention to are the battleground states. You can look at polling data on Missouri all day long. It's not going to matter. Look at polling data on New York or California. It's not going to matter. What matters are the eight or so states that are up for grabs that are going to determine this uh, election. And, and so with that said, listen, I'm, I, am, I am of the opinion that when it's all said and done, here are your biggest factors. Here are your biggest factors. I don't think there is a great deal of enthusiasm or faith in Joe Biden. There is a great deal of enthusiasm for Donald Trump, both for and against him. And I think the thing that will dictate things more than anything else are money. And one of the things that, that stands out to me here uh, as I scroll through all of my data points um, is, <laughs> this is rough, um, market participants are worried about a Biden win. Uh, what are the implications of Uf U.S. equities if Biden wins? Zero percent say they are very bullish. <laughs> 7% say they are bullish. 34% say they are neutral. 54% 50, say they are bearish. 6% say 
very bearish. So 60% are bearish or very bearish if Joe Biden wins. That's a problem. And that's, to me, the game. That, to me, is the game. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm right. If I were certain, I'd be shipping my bankroll on Donald Trump winning. It's even. It's not even minus 160 like it was in February. You agree with me. You know yeah. that you know the game. Yep. And I think that's the game. I think that's 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 the game. But you but but if you do want to go into some intangibles, enthusiasm, lack of it for Biden, substantial enthusiasm for Trump. Don't get me wrong, substantial anti-Trump as well. But when you talk about the dollars, that to me that to me is is a monster reason. Uh, what are the market implications for U.S. equities if the Democrats win control of the White House, Senate, and U.S. House? Zero percent bullish or very <laughs> bullish. Sixteen percent neutral. Eighty-four percent bearish or very bearish. Those are the implications for U.S. equities if the Democrats win control of the White House, Senate, and and House. Now you might go, well, that's not going to happen. I would say you are probably right, but just as an idea of where. The markets are. Uh, so uh, the pro- the thought process is a Biden win will likely lead to higher taxes. Biden is proposing more than $3.4 trillion in tax increases to fund infrastructure, climate investments, education, and health care. Um, so that is one of, the, one of the elements to this. And corporate earnings would likely get hit as well, which then goes back into the U.S. equities. Uh, so with that all said, that doesn't mean, there it is, I have provided you with this information. As far as the tells, the six tells, we've never had somebody have three of six. But the thing is, even if we had, I don't think we've ever seen anybody who can compare to Donald Trump with the passionate support for and the passionate support against. So even with that, uh, the closest, we've only had one four of six, and that was Obama, and he did win. Trump is at three of six. And again, this isn't like a, you know, you check the boxes and okay, now we know the outcome. Um, but I just, listen, I mean, maybe I'll be wrong. I think you have a spot where Americans are uncomfortable talking about who they support. Uh, and if they support President Trump, they are fearful they are going to be labeled a racist. And I don't care if it's an actual interview on camera or it is a phone call or it's even some survey. I think that is a real thing. And I don't think now you can go, well, look at all the numbers for Facebook for conservatives and Trump and all of that. And I understand that. But those, you know, that's that's a very that's that's part of the 35 percent who are going to be for him no matter what. I'm talking about the people who are going to determine. Um, take your pick of Michigan, Pennsylvania, Florida, whichever one you want to go with. That is where I am now. I, I want to reiterate, I am not saying he will win, but if you said, Tim, you got to bet $1,000 on who's going to win the presidency, I would bet on Donald Trump. I don't think he'll win the popular vote, but if I had to bet as of September 8th, 2020, I would go with Donald Trump with the Electoral College. There is my thought process. Follow the money. Yeah, and that, that's kind of what it gets down to. Uh, before we go on to another question slash opinion from the audience, I would like to talk about somebody who, uh, I would, uh, certainly like to recommend you have handle your money. And that's Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies, Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies online at evergreenstl.com. Everybody needs a financial advisor, but you need somebody you can trust. And Mark Hanna helps everyday people every day. And you can call them at 314-889-0503 or go online at evergreenstl.com. 
evergreenwealthstrategies.com. Mark Hanna with Evergreen Wealth Strategies, somebody I've gotten over the last few years and just think incredibly highly of, and I know that I regret not having a financial advisor throughout my 20s and knowing that I can lean on somebody, I can count on somebody, and somebody's going to be active, and that's Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. 314-889-0503 or go online at evergreenstl.com. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Next up in the QFTA, uh, um, this I like this one, Gangster Pete. It's 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 going to go in deep, but I think it's worth digging in. So I'm asking for your attention, the audience's attention, because I know it's long, but I think it's I think there's something here, and it kind of forces us to to potentially unlearn. <laughs> All right. Tim, I appreciate your podcast for the transparency you provide into your thoughts and the way you bring out intelligent perspectives from your guests. I know you're passionate about the state of St. Louis and wanted to give you the perspective of someone who was born and raised in St. Louis, moved to Chicago after college, and now I'm moving back at 36. I want to disclaim my following thoughts with two items. First, I've determined being closer to family is the most important priority in my life and to hell with the economic consequences of my decision, even during a pandemic. It wasn't a knee-jerk reaction to the pandemic, but rather the culmination of a lot of different factors. Secondly, St. Louis is simply a more livable city than a place like the concrete jungle of Chicago. Less traffic and the ability to live near the city and be able to get to the suburbs within 20 minutes, hang out with family, play golf, etc., is just simply something that can't happen in Chicago. I think any reasonable person who has lived in both places would come to the same conclusions that if you want a more livable city, St. Louis is the better bet. But if you want more, quote, economic possibilities, Chicago is better. But what I wanted to share thoughts on was examining the idea of what, quote, economic possibilities and, quote, economic growth really are from the perspective of those concepts being central to what big cities market to young professionals. From my perspective, it's the classic conflict of interest where the politician wants to improve his or her brand by attracting big business. Said politician offers tax incentives to said business that is marketed as a job creator for the city. Said big business doesn't pay their fair share of taxes, which depletes city resources, which in turn depletes services residents need. And future politicians either choose to continue selling the dream and plunge the city into economic ruin or be the responsible person in the room and levy taxes back on big business or individual taxpayers to save their budgets and then most likely not get reelected. In the cases I've seen, the individuals suffer the most and the economic growth they were marketed ends up being becoming their burden. Saying nothing of St. Louis's economic situation, which, as you know, deserves its own deep dive, is how you'd compare the economic situations in the county versus the city. Chicago is an absolute mess. Additionally, take a city like Nashville, which you've indicated before, used to be much smaller than St. Louis and is either just as big or bigger at this point. They've done two things that blow my mind. First, they've completely eliminated the state income tax, transferring more of the tax burden on lower income individuals in the form of sales tax. Second, they've provided huge incentives to businesses that are going to screw them down the road. Nashville is in the beginning stages of being a place like Chicago. I say all of this because based on the track record of other large cities, it's not an exaggeration to say that not all growth is good growth. With that said, I'd be curious to know that when people in St. Louis say they want, quote, economic progress, what does that really mean? And do they say it from a place of wanting a better quality of life? 
I can tell you firsthand it has the potential to be smoke and mirrors. And I'm specifically attracted to the fact that St. Louis has not grown as feverishly as other cities. I'd be curious as to your perspective on this. Lastly, you've spoken about your divorce recently, uh, and I wanted to share that it is possible to get divorced without lawyers involved. Maybe my ex and I are total unicorns, but it was amicable, and we simply split our assets up 50-50 because we knew lawyers would be a mess and went our separate ways. I watched Marriage Story as well and was really thankful something like Laura Dern (laughs) wasn't on the other side. Thanks. That comes from Pat. Pat should get like an award for his email. I just thought that was so good. And I realized he wrote it a little more than a month ago and I just hadn't gotten to it. And I was going through emails and I'm like, oh, I forgot about this one because I really think it forces you to truly think. Um, Now, um, we're coming at it, I think, in the median age of St. Louis being on the younger side of it, me and Pete are. Um, But we are coming at it from a couple of different perspectives. I'm married with a child. Pete is single. Um, and so what he presents is in a funny way, I think at this moment, something that if I were St. Louis, I'd be marketing. If you do indeed have a lot of people either currently working remotely or going and working at companies where they're going, yeah, when, whenever this ends, we're going to encourage you to work remotely and go, well, shit, I can move back to St. Louis and, and for what you would pay, and it's one of those things that unless you've looked and really seen it for yourself, it's tough to, con- I'm sure Pat, know, I mean, they haven't written the email, like what you could get for, I don't even know, half a million dollars in Chicago versus what you could get for half a million dollars in St. Louis. And the difference is monstrous. You cannot, I guess I'm sure you can, but in 2007, when I was looking, I know this, you could not own a home. And when I say home, I'm not talking about a home. I'm talking about an apartment in New York city for less than a million dollars. And I recall going to a friend of mine who had just bought his, it was like on the third floor of what was a skyscraper. It was just to the North of where, um, where the world trade center was. I mean, it was for real, like a couple blocks on chamber street. Uh, and I remember walking in going, Oh my fucking God, this was a million dollars. And I swear to you, Gangster Pete, if it were a thousand square feet, I'd be shocked. And he bought it. And then I remember looking at places and my buddy who I still do know, and he was living there and he's going, you got it. You got to get this thing. You know, that this was on a high floor. This was also in lower Manhattan. And it reminded me the only thing I can compare it to for the audience. And now I realize you got Mizzou students and non-Mizzou students, but I would imagine dorms are the same anyway. It reminded me of a dorm. It was a one bedroom (laughs) dorm. I guess the only difference between a dorm in this place is it had, you know, I, I, it's not a kitchen as we think of in a home, but it's a kitchen like in a, a very small kitchen and apartment. And it was $4,000 a month, 4,000. And again, that's 2007. And so people go to these cities for the economic opportunity. They're chasing the dream. I also understand in your twenties and thirties and you're single. It's a different scene than St. Louis without question. People get married. They stay with their sweet college sweethearts, high school sweethearts, even get married, they have kids. And then you have the divorces in thirties, but uh, or forties, but, uh, but as far as energy goes, I get it. I just think the game has changed because these places have first off priced themselves off out of live, livability. And then secondly, here over the last six, seven months, remote working allows somebody to work for one of these places without having to live in Chicago or New York. So I do think the game has changed. Gangster Pete, uh, let's start with that. What do you think about that part of his email? 
Uh, has the game changed based on where people can work? Is that yeah. what you're asking? Well, I mean, and in, 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 in the people's desire, like coming out of college, to go, okay, I've got to go to Chicago, New York. And Chicago's the big one. If you went to the, like the University of Missouri, I mean, my God, how many of your peers took off from Columbia and moved to Chicago? Oh, yeah, a lot. You know? I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I think there, I think it's still people are attracted to those big cities. Well, I'm not I, saying they're not. I'm just saying I think people are going, oh, it might not necessarily be the rush that it was a decade ago, 20 years ago, because sure. they, the prices continue to increase, whereas the salaries are, relatively speaking, versus that cost of living increase, stagnant or s just slightly increased and not keeping up with it. It's yeah, I, tough to live a real enjoyable life, certainly by yourself. you got to have roommates unless right. you start, start killing it. Yeah, I agree with that. I just think Chicago and Nashville are such fun cities, but you can already see in Nashville, like they're already starting to have infrastructure problems yep. with all the building that's going Austin up so has fast. That happen. Austin yeah. would oh, be an yeah. example. Austin has a big homeless issue too. So, so you have that element of it. So I love this because it kind of, it's like, okay, we, you know, we want this because we want growth and we want to see St. Louis progress. Um, and then how does it progress? Well, it's young professionals, they're coming at things from a different perspective. They didn't just live in St. Louis or Kansas City or Columbia or a rural place in Missouri. They didn't just go to Mizzou or St. Louis U or, you know, take your pick of whatever. They have seen at least beyond, you know, Missouri uh, or beyond the United States. And that adds more to the table. And I, and, I, and I actually am coming to the table and I understand that. But I think one of the reasons why people do stay in St. Louis is not, oh, we're scared of New York or something like that. I'm sure there's, I think, I don't even know what's scared of. It's just, it's too fucking expensive. I mean, that's what, that, that, that's what it gets down to. Um, and it's not just New York, but it's LA. It's, it's not, and it's not limited to the top three markets, New York, LA, Chicago. Uh, you can increase it well beyond that um, for cost of living expenses and in cities that are actually by definition smaller than than St. Louis and Pete just named Nashville and I'll throw Austin into the mix and then you can start rattling off a few others that aren't even top 10 markets that are uh, that have boomed over the last 20 or 30 years. So with that all said, I think that what uh, this gentleman and I see his email address, I want to see what email he or he signed up, Pat um, said, I, I get that. Um, I think that St. Louis could be on the verge of a boom with people either moving back or people who haven't lived here going, I can live in a, you know, what is a large city for, in, for this? And I can still work. I think that could happen. I really do think that could happen. Um, I really agreed with what he said about the politicians trying to increase their brand by promoting economic development, but then they give away too much on the front yeah, end just to make it happen. Yep. And then it doesn't really benefit. And then you're backed into a corner. Right. Then you're backed into a corner. That happens all the time. So I thought it was, I mean, I just think it's a, 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 a just a wonderfully stated email that, that causes one to think. Um, I guess what I would say to that is I feel like the ingredients is something I know I've said over and over again. I feel like the ingredients, the raw materials, and now circumstances in addition to the raw materials are present for St. Louis to have growth. I think what, I think there is a difference. Well, I don't think, I know. There is a difference between leadership giving away the farm with regard to tax incentives for big businesses and leadership that's just lost. Um, and even that, that, that's not fair for me to say. 
but leadership that doesn't lead. And I just don't see it. And I've said this for a long time. This isn't, uh, this isn't an anti Sam page, Lida Cruson, Francis Slay, uh, Steve Stanger, Charlie Dooley, Freeman Bosley, Clarence Harmon. That, that, that's, that's not, that's not, that, it's not that. I, I, I I've occasionally rhetorically presented this question. I'll present it again. Who involved in the state of Missouri? So you can go as local as local can be municipality, city council, school board to as high up as governor to U.S. Senator. I realize the U.S. Senator serves in Washington, D.C., but uh, Senators Hawley, Senator Blunt, uh, whomever. And I'm a, and I'm asking, I'm, I'm truly asking and I'll email me team McKernan at inside stl.com. I'd, I'd be curious because maybe it's somebody I haven't thought of where you go that person there and that person doesn't have to be. 20 or 30 or 40 person can be 60 or 70. That person there, I buy in that person's leading. I really do. I buy in. There's integrity there. There's leadership there. And so I feel like St. Louis has suffered from a lack of leadership. Um, I, this, this email was sent on, um, April 5th. So it, in the, the morning after actually the County executive, uh, election. And so our primary, and I think that therefore it had to have been tied into Mark Bonavani losing to Sam Page, and uh, perhaps was a way of saying, yeah, I didn't really want Mark Bonavani to win. The thing that attracted me with with regard to Bonavani, uh, was this is before I got to know him, was he knew the things that needed to be done were going to be unpopular, and he didn't care because he didn't care about winning re-election or advancing in office, and that is what I think it takes. I think it takes. Somebody going, yeah, you might not like me, but we're going to win. So, you know, you can go ahead and bitch about me, but we're going to win. So the results will speak for themselves. I don't need you to go out there and because you're scared of me, kiss my ass. Um, you know, I mean, oftentimes I'll say, who are the two most successful football coaches? Nick Saban and Bill Belichick. Certainly not media darlings, but here, here are my Super Bowls. Here are my national championships. So if you have that kind of track record, you don't really care. And Monavani didn't really care. Um, but what Pat is presenting is that oftentimes if a city sacrifices itself for the purpose of quote unquote economic progress, it can wind up becoming a servant to these businesses. And then as he's saying, Nashville will become Chicago. Uh, and I think it's just, I think it's a well-stated email that, that certainly makes, makes one think, I guess what I would present as my dissent, not that it's even a dissent so much as I don't know who I, I, I look at and go, this person is a this person in office right now? I really buy into, and I think they are really leading. It's, it's kind of like it's just, it's spinning in circles. And the mayoral election coming up, uh, which is in less than eight months at this point, um, and those who are either announced that they're running or talked about as being candidates, you just go, wow, you know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I and also I want to get down to it. Um, I guess we've had it for a long time. <laughs> so it's, I don't know if it's going to necessarily just listen to lead to a decrease, but I'd certainly like to see somebody who I think people rally around. And I just don't think we've seen that in a while. Uh, and then on the divorce topic, lastly, you've spoken about your divorce recently. I wanted to share that it is possible to get divorced without the lawyers involved. Maybe my ex and I are total unicorns, but it was amicable and we simply split our assets up 50, 50 because we knew lawyers would be a mess and went our separate ways. I watched marriage story as well was really thankful something like Laura Dern wasn't on the other side. Uh, yeah, the Laura Dern character, <laughs> horrifying. Frightening. Yeah. Um, uh, I would, I guess my question to Pat would be, Pat, 
do you have children? Did you have children with your wife? Because I would be surprised if you could do that with children. I don't know, but I would be surprised. And I'm sure maybe there are people listening who would say, we did do it without, you can get a mediator. Um, and again, with, with regard to mine, I, I, I talked about it. I think I answered one question about it. So it's, it's just something that I don't go into. And that's just a, the way that it is as far as detail goes. Also, it's, you know, you're talking about 12 years ago, but, um, you know, it's one of those things. It's something that, um, it, it, it's, there, there are some cliches with divorce. Some are like intended to be like bad dad jokes, but some are accurate in my experience. And that is the only people who win in divorces are the attorneys. And, and that's why like the Laura Dern character to me, even though I know some women celebrated the Laura Dern character and I know probably more than 50% of the audience hasn't seen the movie to even know what I'm talking about, but she was the divorce attorney for Scarlett Johansson in a marriage story. Uh, like it's tactics to get you fired up. And then once you're emotional, you're not thinking analytically and then all hell breaks loose. And now the hours are more billable because they're all over the place. And now we're chopping up shit that doesn't need to be chopped up and we're just doing it to win. And it becomes about winning. And instead you don't really win because you might have this much money now, but you're going to have this high of a, a legal bill. Uh, so I don't know. Pat, I guess that's my question. I, Cause if you have kids, I don't know how that's possible. Um, I was divorced, no children, but, um, if you have kids, I can't imagine, I can't imagine. I don't know. I don't know. I would assume no kids and they make about the same amount of money. Yeah. That's a good point. Gangster Pete add in, add in that factor. Yeah, that's another, that's another factor too. I don't know. God, I'm telling you, uh, yeah. but lovely email nonetheless, even though it puts me in a terrible place. At the end. <laughs> uh, Tim and Pete, just a golf equipment question. I was hoping that both of you could provide some guidance. I'm 43 and looking to get back into golf because of COVID and my kids are getting older and more time can be made for golfing. What brand or type of clubs would you recommend to someone who has been away from golf for a while now? Where is a good place to purchase? I'm not looking to break the bank, but would like to finally have a good set of clubs. Thanks for the help. Well, I'll give a, I'll give a recommendation right out the gate. PJ Pro Dan, PJ Pro Dan didn't advertise. I went to a place, and I'm not going to give the name because I, it would come off like as an, a criticism, but they're just expensive. And I'm sure a lot of the people who are golfers who listen to this know exactly the company I'm talking about. And they're in St. Louis. They're all over the place, but there's one in St. Louis, at least one in St. Louis. Um, but it's a super expensive. And I had a, uh, a great golfer in the area tell me I probably need to go there. And, yeah, I, I could, but, I mean, you're talking about, I mean, for real, Pete, the estimate was something like $3,500. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's nuts. Now it's, it's as specific as it can be, but I mean, it's just, so I went and saw PGA pro Dan golf galaxy, Fairview Heights for me to drive to Fairview Heights. I'm not sure I would drive to Fairview Heights for a daisy chain, <laughs> but in this particular circumstance, I'm like, I got the time, he, you know, he, he, he's not paid on commission and he was going to come over to the golf galaxy. That's like, I don't even know, less than five minutes from my house. That's into pair. And I'm like, well, if you're not getting commission, I don't want you to, that's just, that's just, that'd be horseshit. So I said, I'll go over there. And I, and I joke about it because I don't really like to drive anywhere. That's the reason why it's not like I'm against it. But so I go over there and gangster Pete, we've talked about this. We've played a couple times together. I hit my driver further than you, but you hit your iron so much further than me. So we know it's not a strength thing. It's the, it's the, it's form. And there is a way to hit the golf ball. 
There, there is a, there is an actual, I know you people go, well, of course, I mean, you hit, but, <laughs> but there is a way to hit the golf ball. And I would imagine, and I've never like watched your swing. I've played with you, but I don't really pay close attention to your swing. I'm virtually certain that you hit the golf ball the right way. And I hit the golf ball the wrong way. Well, I hit the ball, golf ball the right way with my irons and I hit it the wrong way with my driver. Yeah. Which so, I haven't figured out. So I've had an instru- I've had instructors try to explain it to me, and for whatever reason, it just it clicked. And I'm telling the backstory, and I'll eventually get to the question. So I go over there, and all these guys who I play with, I mean, I'm, and I, I say it all the time, and I and it's not meant to because it, it's not really a brag. If anything, it's kind of embarrassing because they, I mean, it's not. I'm not even like playing against them. They're so much better than me that it's they're not like, oh, I hope Tim doesn't beat me today. It's not going to happen. It can't. I mean, I guess I guess one out of 15 times they're having a bad day and I have a really good day. It could happen, but they're like, shit, I shot a 70 today. God damn it. You know? And for me, I'm like, yes, I shot a 70 day. That kind of gives you the idea. And I'm a, I'm a 4.5 at this particular, where are you right now? Gangster Pete? 12.7. You've kind of been right around there all year. Haven't you? Shot an 86 in Tulsa. It's about, that's my average score. That's where you are. Yeah. Was that a 72? Uh, yeah. So 14 over. Yeah. And then I, I hit like two fairways all day. Yeah. Um, so I go over to see PGA Pro Dan and these guys who I'd played with. And what are the names of the club? They're tailor-made clubs. You know, like seven something or another. I'll type it in. So I, now this again is kind of a, you know, you're asking for, let's see, 710. It's tailor-made G710 irons, maybe 718s. I don't know. I think it's 710. I remember this guy goes, I said, yeah, I went and saw this guy. He goes, tailor-made, whatever. Don't even ask any questions. Maybe it's 790. 790, I think, especially looking at the price point, it must be. I don't know. The, the point being, they're tailor-made irons, and then you go over there, and you, you, you know, they're going to fit you. And so I'm in there, and Dan, PGA Pro Dan, who's a listener to TMA, uh, is the one who brought me back to playing golf. And the reason I stopped playing, which bothers me so much, I can't begin to tell you how much it bothers me, is because I played in 2006. This is a true story. It's so sad. It's so sad. I played in 2006. We were down at Hilton Head, and I was holding the club the wrong way, and I guess it was, I don't know if it was my right or left thumb, got such a huge, like a, I mean, a, like it covered the whole top of the thumb blister. And I'm like, I'm no good, and now I'm getting blisters. I don't <laughs> want to do this shit. And so for the next 10 years, minus a scramble I played, two scr- I played two scrambles. Um, just horribly too, in, in nice tournaments. Um, I didn't play. I just didn't play. So basically all of my thirties, which is an amazing thing up until July, 2016. And I, my brother was getting married in Hilton head. And so the whole family was going to be there. And we we're going to be there for a while. And, um, and we were in a spot in between nine twenty and, and five ninety, And so I had time and I'm just like, I'm going to stay down there for a while. I think I stayed down there for like two weeks. So I'm going to play golf. I want to be able to spend some time with my dad and play golf. And I'm like, I'll do it again. And I said, Hey, can you take me out? Something's wrong with my swings. Whenever I play, I get this terrible blister on my thumb and we go out there and I'm hitting the ball pretty well. And so he saw my swing right as I came back and he corrected my grip. It was a, it was a 30 second correction that could have saved 10 years. That's what they said. Having to Brendan Todd, when he lost it, he went and saw this guy He fixed him in like 30 seconds. Oh God. And now he's awesome. And now, yeah, now, I mean, he's, what did he finish? Like top 15 yesterday yeah. in the tour championship. Yeah. He's been balling out. I mean, it's just, I quit playing golf for years too. And I regret it big time. Oh, I'm sure you do. As what as, years were you? Well, as soon as I got to college, I was just decided. Yeah, I didn't play then. I just decided this is, 
this isn't what I want to spend my time doing. Right. I, I, did, I barely And then did, uh, after for a while. And then it started to become the thing all the married guys could do on the weekends. Yeah. And I got back into it. I, I can't, I can't begin because, because I, I look at it, I'm a four or five now. And now with a couple things that I'm about to get into, I actually do think I may get to be a scratch golfer. And, you know, I was kind of saying it a matter of fact to, to, I don't know, my wife or my dad or somebody not like, Hey, this is a brag. Like, yeah, I can, I kind of see it happening just cause you see things happening and you know what it takes and you kind of go, Oh, it's going to be great. Except it doesn't really do anything. I mean, it doesn't do, I mean, it's an accomplishment personally, I suppose, but it's not like it does anything. I think I've said this before on official title of the podcast. There it is. Check it off in your bingo card. Um, that I remember seeing Andy Van Slyke and he goes, yeah, after I retired and I decided to play golf and then I'm, you know, I just wanted to become a scratch golfer and I got to that and I go, well, what were you before? He goes, oh, I don't know. I shot like in the nineties, hundreds. And I go, okay. He goes, and then I won the club championship at old Hickory. <laughs> that didn't really do anything for me. So then I just moved on to the next thing. I'm like, Geez, you know, I mean, it's not that easy for, there, there are athletic elements to it. Um, so, but it, because I'm, I'm ter- I, I have been the worst. I, I can't imagine there are many people who are four handicaps who are worse around the greens than me. I am terrible. I'm going to talk about putting. I'm talking about chipping and pitching. And I've finally, quote unquote, figured it out. And it's so fucking basic. And I'm just like embarrassed that it, like it's because it is an easy shot. Um, but I went to see PGA Pro Dan and we go in there and he's like, oh my God, your takeaway is like, an A plus because it's a tour caliber takeaway, but something's wrong when you come down at the ball. And I go, well, that's pretty important. That's a, so he shoots video, which I'm not used to seeing in my swing. And I can tell it's fucked up and it's kind of like an over the top thing. And then there's like a correction is it impact. And so I'm scooping it. Whereas I'm virtually certain Pete in order to hit the ball as far as you do with your irons, you're yep. compressing it. Yep. And so that's why, like if I have 155 yards, I'm grabbing a seven iron and I'm hoping I get it there. <laughs> Whereas you would be grabbing what a nine, nine eight iron. at the most, yeah, nine iron one fifty five, yeah, like instantaneously. So I knew something was wrong, and he goes, "Okay, so he's giving me these irons and all these nice irons, the ones that I just referenced, these Tailormades, uh, and then there was another one, Callaways, and what are there King Cobras too or something? I don't know. There's all kinds yep. of shit." And he goes, "Honestly, tip of the cap to PGA Pro Dan. He's like, until you kind of get that worked out, there's no point." Cause you know, he goes, you gotta, you gotta hit the ball first. You're kind of, you know, you're kind of like, it's not. So this happened on, this was last Wednesday. So as we're recording this, it's Tuesday, September 8th. And I had an event. Now it's not a big event. It's not like a money event. It's not, it's not a huge deal. It's not an individual thing. It's just kind of a team thing. And it's a fun thing, whatever. And that's why I took off from the show again, because I just have a bunch of vacation time built up. And I'm like, Oh, I guess I'll play in this thing. And it starts at eight in the morning. And so what happens is, and he's showing me what I kind of a general things that I need to do, strengthen my grip and how to come at the ball and so on and so forth. Well, what happens then immediately is anybody who's ever played knows, and then you go and see somebody, you don't go, okay, I know I need to do that, but I'm going to go, I'm just going to stick with the shit that's wrong. <laughs> you immediately, now, now I'm kind of in a hybrid swing. I'm in the thing that I had been scoring well with that got me down to a four, but I'm like, okay, I need to start doing this. Now I'm in between swings, and it was an absolute disaster. Played horribly. Shot like an 85, uh, and that's at Westboro, which is a par 68. Shout so, Pete. Uh, but yeah, you're at a 72. <laughs> I'm at a 68. All right, all right. Um, and it was just a disaster. I mean, just like the horrible on it, and I kind of knew it, and I felt bad. Um, but I'm like, I, I also know it's not going to crash. So all I wanted to do 
was go to the range and the guy I was playing with my partner. Uh, he goes, yeah, cause I was saying, I'm, I'm, uh, I was telling the story and I hope he doesn't mind me telling the story. You were here for it. Um, when Patty Maroon was in yep. and we were bullshitting and, I, and, he, and he goes, Oh, we got to play. And I said, yeah, I'd love to play. I said, I just got to go to the range. I got to work on compressing the ball. I don't know how to do it. I just know I'm hitting my wedge like 120. And he goes, well, isn't that what you're supposed to hit it? And I go, cause I've played with Pat and he doesn't hit the ball nearly as far. I mean, especially Pat got behind one. Holy shit. Yeah. But he doesn't, he doesn't compress. He can't compress the ball. And I go, no, that's the thing. And he should be for as big as he is. And he's what? 10 years younger than me should be hitting it way further. So I was playing with this guy and he goes, yeah, people don't get the hands in front thing. So you, you're picturing that, yeah. you know, you do it. Yep. So you probably do that with your driver then as well. And with driver, you're supposed to be swinging up with irons. You're supposed to be swinging down. My dad always tells me I swing my driver different than my irons. Really? Well, that's yeah. good. I've never had a lesson though. I, I'm just trying really? to figure it out myself. Yeah. I kind of like, I kind of like trying to figure it out on my own. Well, because I can tell you, lessons can throw you off, and you can take steps backward, but you can eventually take like more forward. Like the day I figured out how to compress the ball, it's like when you hit a home run, like you don't even feel it. So yeah. like I just messed around on the range and started doing it, and it just I'm just like, wow, this is awesome. It, it, it's a different feeling. And then you don't you don't even have to swing hard; it just right. goes. It man. just goes. And so it was, and it would just it clicked. Even though I've worked with people, and we've talked about it. And for whatever reason, what this person said clicked, whereas like instructors, it hadn't clicked because there was a lot more to it. And I'm like, okay, if I know that when it impact my, and I'm, that my left wrist is actually facing the ground and my hands are forward, like on my left foot and the club is at an angle behind me and it's hitting the ball first, not the ground first, which I know fucks people up, that, that, that is, you're going to deal off the club and the ball is going to go further. That's compressing the ball. The ball gets trapped between the ground and the club that's compressing the ball. And so over the last, just coincidentally over the last couple of weeks, I'm like, I know I can't get new equipment until I get this figured out. And I've gone and I was doing it at the range. I'm like, okay. So yesterday just had time. Our son was out uh, with our in-laws. Anna Marie was just relaxing around the house. She's like, yeah, it's a beautiful day. Go play for him. I'm like, okay, it's a day by myself. I'm just going to drop balls. I'll play one and score one, but I will, you know, just hit a bunch of different shots. First off, PJ Pro Dan gave me a tailor-made sim driver for a week to demo. World changer. My World buddy got changer. one of those, and it's unreal. You have one of those? Always no, have? my buddy just got oh. one, and he's bombing. I mean, it's it's nuts, and sometimes not even on great swings. I mean, it's it's nuts, and the sound is so different. I mean, the, the, the driver I had, I got right when I got back into the game in 2016. It's this Ping G something or another. I got a Ping, too. I need a new driver. Yeah, and, and it just sound, it sounds like an aluminum bat hitting <laughs> a baseball at this point. Now, it sounds loud, but it doesn't sound good. This thing, it's like a, it's like a silencer on a gun. It's you know? really cool visually, too. Oh, like, really? It's a beautiful club. I'm a fan, and it's just, I am just, and I, I had gotten to a point where I'm just like, I play this bitch cut. I mean, bitch cut i'll hit fairways like nobody's business but it's just it's just i have to start out to the left and then it just bitches up in the air and then it <laughs> bigs his little bitch turn <laughs> i do that too and it's just gross and so i'm hitting this thing on the range and i can tell people are kind of like you know what the fuck's going on over here with this you know and I'm, and i'm like oh you know it's a new club you know it's the it's the equipment but I could just line up straight forward. And if anything, I might be hitting it right to left because, again, my swing's a little different coming at it because I know I need to do 
whatever. Neither here nor there. Bomb. So the tailor-made SIM driver is legit. Now, I got to get it fitted. He gave it to me for a week, and you can rent it for, like, I think 20 bucks. Uh, and then uh, and demo it. So that is a world changer. I'll get that for a three-wood as well. Uh, and I probably want to go down to at least a three iron. The lowest iron I have is a four iron. But again, I got to get the iron thing right. This has only been two range sessions in one round. But I mean, just like a normal. Uh, have we played Westboro together? No, you and I? never been. We got to do that. We yeah, got to do that. I would love to. It, it, boy, if you're not hitting fairways, it. Yeah. Well, I, I might be going <laughs> not to the, long, but it is tight. Which I, is why when I go to those gateway type places, it's like, oh my god, just you know. Yeah, I started hitting my iron off the tee for a little bit. It's what it gets to. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, at Westboro, you know, you can certainly not hit driver. I mean, shit, you can never hit driver if you want. But, I mean, there are only a handful of holes where it's, quote, unquote, necessary. Um, but anyway, it, it certainly treats it trains you to be precise or it penalizes you for not being accurate. Either way, um, there's a hole that runs around Lockwood that people, even who aren't members there, say it's one of the toughest par fours in St. Louis just because you have no room for air on the left. It's a long hole. The green is tough once you actually get up there. It's tough to get on in regulation. And I was 158 out uphill. So I would usually play that as a 165 shot, slight wind in yesterday. Perfect drive down the middle with the sim driver. And I'm like, God, I think I'm hitting this thing right. This is a 165-yard shot, which would usually be a six iron for me. I'm going to hit a seven, and I went long. I caught the back, and I'm just like, thank God, it's happening. <laughs> it's finally fucking happening. And again, it's not like I'm like, oh, I'm swinging harder. Just by strengthening my grip, PGA Pro Dan showed me that I picked up six miles per hour. You hit the seven long? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that would have been an eight for me. So yeah, you, you're, there you go. You're doing it, man. Yeah, it's starting to happen. But strengthening the grip, just doing that added, I think, I don't even know what it was, the miles per hour increased right. six miles per hour, which I had no idea. So there's that. But again, coming into the ball, like the elbow tucked, and then the, the hands forward, the, the, the left hand, if you're right hand, are down at the ground at impact, and the club is actually behind you, and then it hits the ball. That is compressing the ball, and it makes it. And for some of you, you're like, I can't imagine doing that. And for some of you, such as Pete, I don't know any other difference. Um, and then chipping, chipping's just that there's no, there's nothing to say about that with regard to the equipment. I've just been terrible at it. And because I was going up to the range to work on compressing the ball, um, which again, you, you know, it's something that, you know, for a lot of people, it's a second nature for me. It wasn't, I was scooping, um, you know, I'm just like, okay, I got a fucking chip. I just got to get this right. And I, and it was a self-taught thing, you know, even though I know cause PJ Protein goes, yeah, I played with you because I saw you were using the nine iron, but if you just have like you know, five to 10 yards to the pin and the rough, you can't hit a nine iron and stop it. So you got to get that shot right. And you just kind of did a little gesture, but it's just a little 56 and you kind of hit down on it. And now I'm doing it and it's like, oh my God, how many strokes have I pissed away? Because if I'm, if I'm off the green, if I get up and down, it's a miracle. Um, and again, so what excites me is that I was hitting a bitch ass cut, like a like I'm not talking like there's nothing wrong with playing a cut. Dustin Johnson just won fifteen million dollars playing yeah. left to right. Worked it's not well. that. This is a bitch ass cut. <laughs> this is like it was like a little balloon shot out of a gun and it goes up in the air and then it comes down gently. And God, if it goes two thirty, I'd be surprised. I play a bitch ass cut. <laughs> but I'm sure you could get it right. I mean, you know, it's yeah, yeah. it's a case of getting it right. Uh and now that, you know, I mean listen, if anything, I'm pulling this thing. It's just an adjustment. I've played one round with it. But um, that, the chipping, and then being able to hit the ball further with irons, it's just, a, it's a, it's an absolute, and it makes the, it makes the game a hell of a lot 
more fun. So what I'm thinking is if I'm a four as of this morning, four, five was a four, three, four, five with those three things not in play. I'd like to think with those three things in play, there's going to be, you know, an improvement. And, uh, I think I'll break, I think I will break par, um, before the end of golf season, which I guess in St. Louis is theoretically the end of October, I guess that's when Jen, I think stops tracking scores. Then yeah, until I mean, like it depends on who you are. Denny will play golf all year. No, I know, but I mean like <laughs> gin purposes. Denny, yeah, your yeah, father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So anyway, your golf equipment question is is it, I, to give you an answer. It's it's a case by case thing. I don't know what your swing is. I don't know if well, you know. I would say for him, he's just getting back into golf. Like any of those game improvement irons from the big companies are awesome. Like the technology is so similar now. Like I I love the TaylorMades. Oh, so you have that? I have like the M3s. Yeah, they're like three years old, but they're I love them. I, uh, I mean, there's the, the, the technology thing is so like, I get if you're Jack Nicholas, why it drives you up the wall. Cause you were hitting persimmon woods and shit, but right. it is an absolute world changer. I can't imagine. I mean, the fact that guys, you know, Jim Holtgrieve, for example, is St. Louis and you know, Walker cup captain played at the masters, you know, for forever had the, the course record at Westboro. Um, and the clubs he was using, you know, versus what we're out there yeah. doing our shit with, which means how far did he have? I mean, I don't know. Maybe he had the same distance in. He was able to do it with those clubs. Beats me. But the equipment matters. I'll go ahead and give PJ Pro Dan. Uh, he's a, a golf galaxy in Fairview Heights. So, I mean, for real, it's first off, he's a really good guy. But, I, you know, for what I'm going to wind up, I mean, I don't know what I'm going to wind up getting. I got to get my swing right. But, you know, I, I would imagine it will. Well, I know this. It's not going to be thirty five hundred dollars. Let me put it that way, and that's what it would have been. I wasn't going to do that anyway. But that's that's kind of the ballpark. And this was for a whole set. This is for wedges, woods, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, it 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 really does. It truly does matter. It truly does matter. And I don't think people um, appreciate it until you're going from like one. And my club's only you know I got it in July of sixteen or August of sixteen, so it's only four years old. But um, you know. Uh, let's see. That's another golf question. We'll wrap it up after this one. Tim, I'm currently on the same trajectory you went through for coming back to the game of golf. I played regularly through my 20s, but went through a span over the last four or five years, only playing sporadically as my wife and I have two small children. As I'm coming back to the game and playing more regularly, what advice do you have for someone wanting to be more consistent with their game? As a 36-year-old, I realize I will probably never be a scratch golfer, but I would Love to be in the single digits for handicaps right now. My handicap's 19.5, and I feel the more I play, the worse I'm getting. Love the show, and especially the podcast where you can speak more freely. Also, I am very bullish on Gangster Pete. Thanks, Ryan. No last name given. Another Gangster Pete fan. Um, Well, we did just happen to spend a lot of time on it. I do think, I think, now here's Pete. He is not a lessons guy. Um, I think having an instructor is so helpful. I worked with Craig Story who's at Greenbrier quite a bit over the last year. He was recommended to be by, by, by Skip Berkmeyer, who has played in the U.S. Amateur, I think, six times and is, you know, one of the best amateur players in St. Louis of all time, but still to this day. Um, and Craig, but I mean, I don't know. I don't know if Craig, I don't know if Craig would be great for somebody who's a 20 handicap or not. I don't know. Um, but just I, to me, what I have found is I need a swing thought. I don't need a bunch of swing thoughts. I need a swing thought, a swing thought, and then I can make it work. And so like just with the chipping thing, which just used to, I mean, holy shit, Pete, 
bring out a 30 handicap and we'd have a chip off and I would lose to the person. I mean, it was, it's, it's almost like yippee, even though I know it wasn't, <laughs> yeah. it was just bad technique. Right. And now it's like, oh my God, that's, this shot's so fucking easy. I'm going to hole some out, much less have tap-ins, not across the board, but, uh, it just, it, you know, I mean, I don't know, but, but to hit the ball properly and to not develop a habit that kind of like what I'm in the process of doing unlearning. So I hit the ball properly. So if it's, it depends though. I mean, you know, and I would imagine more rounds of golf were played locally in St. Louis than in 2020 than shit. I don't know when the last time you had to get the tiger boom because of the pandemic. So just people, I know, I know we broke records at our place and other places like the T sheet would go up and you'd have to get on immediately or else you wouldn't be able to play. Uh, that's just the way that it worked. We, we broke records and I think other courses broke records. I don't know if like what Jennings would say about gateway sure, certainly seemed like it was full every time I'd be there. Yeah. Is that, is that your experience? Yeah. Well? Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, that's cause that's what people can do. Uh, it's going to be tough, man. As far I mean, tough being relative, but if this is like the way you've gotten through the pandemic, like I have, when the weather gets cold, you know, that's why my winter is coming theme, uh, what it's going to be like. But with that all said, um, this is, this is, this is my, uh, recommendation. Get a, get somebody to work with, with, for lessons. And if you want to email me and I can give you a list of people, Craig stories, the person I worked with. Um, but I'd be happy to give you a few. I know Jay Randolph jr. Has some, I, Ed Schwent is somebody I worked with. I think the world of Ed, uh, being somebody I don't really like to, to drive too far. He's at old Hickory, but God, I think, um, and I think, I think for me with Ed, I think Ed is so damn good. I think Ed would be like, oh, you look pretty good. You know, he's like, kind of like, yeah, I remember seeing you when you were like a shit. I, don't, I didn't even have a handicap. And like in comparison, it looks better. But I'm like, he didn't get it and probably didn't want to hear it. And maybe I'm delusional, but I'm like, I want to be a scratch golfer. And so, and I don't know, I don't have an explanation. It's not like you get a check for this. It's just my own personal thing. It's fucked up. I have an obsessive personality. It was poker for a decade. Now it's golf. Well, I agree with you with the lessons. My friends that have gotten the lessons, I've seen them get substantially better in a short period of time. Yeah. And I know that I could get down to a single if I got oh, a lesson. Without, with there not a doubt in my mind. I've I gone this say. long. You know, I'm trying I'm trying to get a single by myself. See if I you can know? do it. Like, that's my challenge. Because, I mean, I could be a better the, the, golfer but me, i'm not gonna go win anything hitting if but if you're only hitting two fairways and you're probably got you probably got 14 to work with i usually hit more fairways but i mean i was hitting great oh, okay. iron shots out of the rough and wherever i, I mean it just up. it just kills you i mean yeah. it was, you know it's easy to see i mean i, I have two because i do keep my shit which again obsessive my stats my should be my stats and you know they'll be if i have a great round there's one of two things will be there the greens and regulation will be at least double digits. And of course it can only be double digits, but I'm talking about at least 10 usually in the a great round and great for me at this point is like 73 or below. Uh, it's in the, as low as 10, as high as 14 greens and regulation. Uh, and if that isn't there, the putts will be with a two in front of it uh, as in, in the twenties, you know? So that's, but now I'm looking forward to my up and down stat because that's, I've been just fucking around with that. And I'm like 15% up and down. I remember showing Wellington, this Michael <laughs> Wellington. And he goes, okay, looks like we need to work on up and down. Uh, you know, cause I mean, it's just like, what in the world are you doing? And I think, I think, I think that is going to improve drastically. But if, if you can have just one thing to work on, you don't want somebody who's giving you too much at one time one thing and then you get that down and then you start you know too much and it just then it becomes overloaded then you're like oh fuck this i must not be any good 
Well, yeah, and if you're thinking about more than one thing and something goes wrong, then you're just in then a you mess. Then com- you compound yeah. it. Yeah. So right now, like, I'm like, okay, all I'm thinking about, and I'll probably go to the range today. It's a beautiful day. All I'm thinking about is my is firing my hands down so that that club is behind me with my irons. That is what I'm thinking. It's firing my hands down so that the club is, for my takeaway, my firing my hands down so that the club is behind me. That's the only thing that I'm, and the rest of it is whatever. And I know that I need to kind of be pushing out to the right uh, like, like I'm, like I'm at home plate as a right-handed hitter and hitting it to second base. But, um, all I'm thinking about is firing it down. And I just added that like half takeaway that like JT John and Shoffley and them do. And then that makes me, once I see that, I'm like, okay, I don't need to worry. Oh, about before, my, before yeah. the, before practice swing. Deal. Right. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I don't need to worry about my backswing because I know I'm on the right line. And then all I worry about is hitting the ball. Interesting. Hitting the ball first. Yeah, I noticed that they do that. I was wondering what that was about. Yeah, okay. I just started doing it. It's been a huge help. So if people want recommendations, I'll be happy to connect them directly with people. Um, won't think twice about it because, I mean, it really, to me, it, it matters. Short game's a big thing. I don't practice putting. I'm, I'm, I need to get much better inside 10 feet. I'm like, nuts outside of 20 feet <laughs> like it's a it's a two-putt festival um or i'll hit them uh and I, and I have one swing thought of my takeaway on a putter and that is to make sure i come through the ball i want to miss long i want to miss long when do you see like i saw justin thomas this weekend in tour championship when he'd get mad at himself even if it was like a 30 footer when he would leave it short give it's yourself online. a chance give yourself a chance and it might be long. Okay, fine, it's long. And I feel like amateur players and higher handicap players are so scared of it running by that they wind up leaving it so short. God, if there's one, if there's like, if I were building a Ten Commandments of how to come out of retirement for golf or how to just start playing, uh, it would be get your putts to the hole. Try to get, and that's what I do. I, I look at a target 12 to 18 inches past the hole, and that's where I'm hitting the ball. I'm not hitting the ball to the hole. I'm hitting the ball 12 to 18 inches past the hole. That's the target. Um, I was listening to Jordan Spieth talk about putting, and he's like, um, you know, it's a bogey for me if I don't get the in, – it's putting drills. It's a bogey for me if I don't get it to the hole, um, and it's a birdie if I hit it or if I if I keep it uh, the hole to 12 inches past the hole. It's a bogey if I go past 12 inches. That's, that's the range. That's where you want to hit. Um, but yeah, getting an instructor and then the right equipment. I mean, I know it sounds basic and you're like, well, this sucks. It's September 8th. I don't know. But, um, that, that, that first two steps and listen, I mean, there are days I get all the press just like Doug does about the weather here. I really do. I've, I truly have an issue with it. It's, 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 it's not healthy. It's not a healthy thing. It's, it's bad because I mean, it's not like nine of the months of the year are great here. It's, you know, it's the majority of the years weather's shitty in St. Louis and, uh, you know, I mean, every, what, every fucking September, October, I'm going to get depressed. I mean, I got to figure it out, but, uh, you know, there are nice days in November. Hell, I remember playing one time in December. Cletus will be out there in January and February. So, um, anyway, the, email me, team McKern inside STL.com. If you have any questions, comments, golf instructor questions, whatever the case might be. Hey, Jim Rogers, restoration. One of central St. Louis is a fine advertiser of this podcast and somebody I have personally used, so I can recommend to our audience. He's with Restoration One of Central St. Louis. They'd like to recommend. Uh, I'd like to recommend them to you. Check uh, underneath your sink, storage areas, your attic, and don't forget about your garage where humidity really ramps up because that's where a lot of damage will come from. And then, of course, if your basement were to flood, 
Uh, 314-888-5266. It's Restoration One of Central St. Louis. Restoration One of Central St. Louis.com. Jim Rogers is his name, and he did a hell of a job. A lot of our listeners have started working with him, and I love hearing that because I know he's a really good guy. And also Design Air Heating and Cooling online at designairservice.com. Seth Goldcamp and his incredible staff just installed a 16-seer train unit in our home, and when that thing kicks on, oh, my goodness, does it feel good in the house. Wow, does it feel good. Getting such good sleep. Oh, when I just took a couple days off, the quality of sleep I was getting, oh, so good. And so much of that is just feeling good. And the air is circulating, and it's a brand-new air conditioning unit. Right now, you can get it 0% APR, 48 months. Design Air Heating and Cooling, online at designairservice.com, the number one train dealer in the Midwest. Thank you to thehomeloanexpert.com. Thank you to James Carlton. Thank you to Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Thank you to Jim Rogers of Restoration One. And thank you to Seth Goldcamp of Design Air Heating and Cooling. All these sponsors make the podcast possible. You make them possible with your questions and comments. Send them my way. T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com. And, of course, your erotic stories as well. For Gangster Pete, I'm Tim McKernan. This has been another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.